This is Higher Ed Heroes with Dr. Sebastian Kemp and Dr. Alistair Stark. Hi, and welcome to Higher Ed Heroes, a podcast brought to you by the Faculty of Humanities and Social Sciences at the University of Queensland. This podcast is about all those little things, little things we do in our university classroom, the little things that can make a big difference. My name is Seb, and I'm joined here by my friend and colleague, Al. Hi, everyone. The series is really motivated by our belief that what ultimately matters to our students is what happens in our classrooms. In our universities, we talk a lot about course design, teaching policy, teaching budgets, But what we don't often get a chance to talk about are those smaller examples of good practice that can have a big impact. And so in Higher Ed Heroes, we want to share those examples by having conversations with great teachers. Conversations about the practices that they do and implement to bring their classroom to life and that they believe others can adapt to good effect. And we want to have those conversations without using the kind of jargon that's often associated with our teaching committees in higher education. So we're aiming for a buzzword-free zone. We won't be using, or maybe it's better to say we'll be trying not to use, words like flipped classroom, blended learning, work-integrated learning, even research-led teaching. And if we do hear words like that, which we think are better suited to teaching committees, we are going to hear this noise. No! Or maybe this noise. N-O. And we hope that the using of the buzzer will allow us to talk about teaching in everyday terms and really de- deconstruct those buzzwords into everyday terms. And so in today's episode, we are talking about exposing students to different forms of learning. And we are joined by Dr. Simona Smala, who is a senior lecturer in teacher education, curriculum and pedagogy here at UQ. Simona, welcome. Thank you. Simona, you teach uh, educational uh, psychology and as part of your course, you expose your students to different forms of learning. I wonder if we could start by you explaining how that works in practice. When you talk in the introduction, you use the word classroom a lot. And um, I have to stop straight away and say the, my, my example was not in the classroom. And this was particularly interesting for me to actually bring students out of the classroom, to uh, involve them on campus in learning environments that they have access to, but they are not often using. And so my starting point really was to take them out of the classroom. So we can see to the classroom. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) So you're getting students out of the classroom and you're getting them moving around campus. Where are they going and what are they doing? We, I guess here at UQ, we have a wonderful uh, advantage of having a fantastic um, campus with many, many different things. And when I started to think about it, I thought, wow, we've got museums here. We've got uh, lots of different departments, lots of different ways of looking at learning, which was really my focus, if that's not too much of a buzzword. I think we're safe with learning. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> So um, I looked at the campus and I asked myself, how can I involve students on campus? How can I engage them in in, uh, learning on campus, but also make it fun for them and link it, I suppose, to a bit of of an inquiry? 
where they would know what they were looking for. They were looking for certain things, but it was um, in a very new and informal way and outside of the classroom and involving different people on campus as well who might be involved in looking at learning from totally different points of view than what we had uh, seen so far. So you've given us a lot of teasers. Uh, <laughs> can you give, give us an example? So obviously, I mean, having talked to you earlier, you, you teach your students uh, a number of conceptual things for the first few weeks and then you take them around, right? And, and talk us through where you go to, what happens there, how does the learning work for the students in those contexts? One really good example, I think, would be a visit to the Anthropology Museum. So just as a reminder, I teach student teachers, students who are in teacher education programs, who learn about learning and who are supposed to uh, understand what it's like to teach other people. Now, this can be a very dry subject, but the Anthropology Museum offers very, very hands-on examples of what learning could look like. And the example I'd like to share with you is we went to the Anthropology Museum to see an exhibition uh, on the Solomon Islands. My students had come in with a bit of a background understanding of, if I can use this jargon word, sociocultural learning theory. So they kind of knew what, what we were talking about when we talked about, you know, peer-to-peer -peer learning and, and so on. But the Anthropology Museum and the Solomon Island exhibition showed us real examples of how learning can take place, you know, from father to son, from mother to daughter, uh, hands-on, outside of a classroom, you know, making fishing hooks and so on, and how this is really really comes from a what in theory we, we would call from a norm, more knowledgeable other and is passed on through sorry buzzword cognitive apprenticeship to a new person is through the interaction and actually hands-on doing and so on and to see this on campus to ha for us to have an opportunity to see this on campus which is wonderful for the students and so you're looking to expand their horizons about what teaching is as a means of opening up their world and saying there's a, a variety of possibilities. Yes, and that teaching really is almost always a socio-cultural endeavour. It is always it always involves passing on knowledge one way or the other and co-constructing knowledge through trying out whatever it is that is needed in a particular socio-cultural context. And in the Sol Solomon Islands, this might have been making fishing hooks. For us, it might be learning the ABC. So it's the context is different, the content is different, but the actual way of passing on learning from generation to generation, there's, there's a, a lot of uh, similarities. You go to other institutions on campus as well, so in, then the contrast becomes really stark if we think, for example, about the Brain Institute. Right, You take your students there, and usually I think in Anthropology Museum, as well as, say, the Brain Institute, as well as others, you always meet someone who guides you through it and tries to explain mm. how in that discipline, in that area, learning actually works. That's right, yes. So the Brain Institute is a, is a really good example of stark contrast. <laughs> so in the Brain Institute, learning plays a very important role, too, because memory and things like this are being explored through neuroscience experiments 
they are always explored in uh, a very clinical environment. You know, you might have little things on your on your head and that look look at your brain movements and brain activities and so on, which is completely different from looking at the interactions we looked at in the anthropology museum. In everywhere I went to, we did have the opportunity to talk to experts. So in the in the anthropology museum we had the curator of the exhibition Uh, leading us through the uh, exhibition and talking about forms of learning. And in the Brain Institute, we had a lecturer from the Brain Institute giving us a guest lecture on uh, ways of looking at learning from a neuroscience point of view. So for the students, it was very exciting to go to the Brain Institute, lots of machines that go beep, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and and so on, and and just all very clinical and, and so on. And to then see that learning is also a topic that is explored in this very clinical, scientific way was very exciting for students, I think. Memory is probably a good concept because all faculties will study it, either cognitive, neuroscience, Mm -hmm. anthropology, sociology, even in politics we're looking at it, and of course history. It's one of those concepts that you could look at from all different angles. This is actually interesting that you say this because one of the endeavours we we wanted to address or I wanted to address with this initiative was that there's often a layman's understanding of terms like understanding, (laughs) learning, (laughs) memory, and to open the students' eyes to the fact that there are so many, there are so many disciplines that study those concepts in a highly theoretical way and quite from quite different perspectives is an important thing to do, I think, because otherwise students, they have to make that that jump, that kind of jump over what we call a threshold concept, uh, which they think they understand, but they own, they understand it from this layman's uh, point of view. And of course, we need to get them over that hump in a mm. way <laughs> and mm. to understand that this is a very, this can be looked upon in many, many theoretical ways mm. and many interesting ways and so on. Mm. And so the idea is to not just have the Anthropology Museum and the Brain Institute, but several other institutions that over a number of weeks in your course, you guys visit, you get exposed to, and then students need to do a self-reflective assignment on that, or how does that work? Yes, so um, we have weekly assignments, weekly um, reflections connected to it, and the questions would be around how is learning conceptualized in this environment in in broad in the broadest sense and students then reflect on it and and uh, submit the um, reflections their reflections which hopefully you know uh, starts this cycle of of reflecting about concepts and reflecting more deeply and more theoretical theoretically about such concepts which were seen as very superficial, like understanding or learning, and now become complex, interesting concepts that can be described in many, many ways. I love the idea mm-hmm. of physically opening up concepts to all these different angles by literally moving around the campus. You said at the start, we have a lovely campus at UQ, and we do. Is that one of the essential things that you need to make this 
teaching technique work? Do you need a good campus where you can move around? What are, what are the essential things that someone listening might need mm. to make this work? I think it's not so much about the campus you have access to, but it's about areas or sites or places you could visit. If you don't have them on your campus, you surely would have them in your town or nearby. But it's your own way of looking at your surroundings and trying to engage students in your surroundings in a way that it makes sense for your your course or your learning objectives. Uh, I would say if I had had more time, I could have gone to the Science Museum, I could have gone to um, GOMA, which is our modern, modern art museum here in Brisbane. So there's a lot of different things you could involve. I was lucky that we have... We have an art museum here on campus. We have many different things on campus. But the idea really is to engage students in a hands-on way that allows them to be excited, to be motivated, to be engaged, because it's, it's something different. Simple as that. It's mm. something different. It's not the classroom. It's not a textbook. It's actually going somewhere. And I felt that students were much more motivated when we said, okay, well, well, we're going to the Brain Institute. Wow, okay, mm. let's do it, you know. Mm. Yeah. The skeptic who might be listening in here as well, <laughs> I'm not saying this is me, but like a skeptic might come back to you and say, well, you know, ultimately you're, you're training future teachers for elementary school and high school and so on. Like what's the value of exposing them to how learning works in the Brain Institute, the Anthropology Museum, maybe in international politics, given that, you know, the target audience for them as future teachers will be kids and, and teenagers. Here I would say that our major thrust in it all was the inquiry process. And the inquiry process is really applicable everywhere. Uh, it doesn't really matter which discipline you're in or which level of education you're in. If it's based on the sense that you have an inquiry, you want to find something out, you engage students and motivate students by asking them to look out for certain things and inquire about it and, and maybe it's connected to problem-based learning as well to, although we, didn't, we did not really focus so much on a problem we really more focused on the inquiry about what is it that is learning how is learning conceptualized how, how is it enacted this type of inquiry will be valuable for all teachers um, it will be valuable for teachers in their own practice but also for teachers instructing their students in how to learn I think this will become more and more important in the 21st century um, the, the focus on the abilities and strategies and skills to find something out simple as that to find something out we can now ob obviously we all know we can find most things by looking at our phones mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but there are many many other ways and to to inquire something and to for for teachers to understand that they don't they're not bound to classrooms they themselves can also look at other ways of engaging their students motivating their students go on field trips um, ask them to see the connections yet the different perspectives of concepts such as learning or it could be any concept really is, is something that I think I'll train the teachers in looking at uh, towards learning in, in that 
more broad sense outside of the classroom. I always say, mm. go out, go mm. out of the classroom. <laughs> I love the phrase getting them outside the boundaries of the classroom. Mm. Another one I thought should I hit the buzzer when you said it, but I think it's really crucial. Threshold concept. I've mm. never heard of that before. I wondered. It sounds to me like something really important, getting students to look beyond the initial assumptions and broaden out and really deepen their understanding. Mm. Yeah, so I'm not sure if I, if I have to hit the bu- buzzer you now. Can, because you can hit your own buzzer. If, <laughs> yeah. you, if, you, if you feel no. it's a buzzword, I've never heard it, so I didn't know. It's, it's not it's so much a buzzword than a theoretical term. Yeah, yeah it's a good question, but we can just for the no. fun of it say, let's have... <laughs> okay, let's buzz it. Yeah, so okay. <laughs> explain what it is. Uh, oh, okay, so it is an actual concept. It is a concept that you can, if you wanted to become more theoretical in this in looking at what I'm talking about, this is one of the theoretical concepts that I looked at, threshold concepts, and of course also the sort of like ass- assessment alignment and so on. But this is not what this is about, is it? No, no, no. <laughs> assessment alignment is definitely no, getting no, in. That no. I don't know what that means either, but it felt buzzwordy. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I think maybe coming back to what we've just been talking about, it's like the idea that you know the world outside the classroom is the actual classroom. Mm-hmm. Is that idea one that you believe makes teacher better teachers? Just to throw mm-hmm. a small mm-hmm. question at you. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I think that the classroom, as such, is a time is a thing of the past, and I think that every teacher needs to understand that. Uh, teaching and learning and instructing students must involve a whole range of other approaches. The the teacher approach and the uh, within the classroom, even if it's student centered, is way too too small now. We can access the whole world at a fingertip. We can look at the Smithsonian Institute in Boston uh, and engage with with the experts etc there so so the classroom itself is a is a sort of thing of the past i think yes teachers need to understand that no teachers don't need to I don't I'm not saying I'm not advocating technology here as the only only thing forward but I do think that teachers need to understand that or need to go into the profession now with an understanding that the classroom is it's just four walls, but these four walls are not holding anything anymore. Everything is now opened up through our technological uh, ways. But I would also add, let students physically go out of the classroom. Let them actually walk around. Let them go into their towns, involve their, their contextual environment, their, their physical environment. Yes, I would say that is very important. And that might have been neglected a little bit over the last 50 years or so. And I think we need to come back to that and basically say students are part of their environment. Students are part of their um, physical and social environment. And this kind of social interaction Direction in their own environment will become more and more important again. Mm. I know I want to visit the Brain Institute now. I want to know what's going on in there. Mm. Nice. I think this has been really terrific. I mean, one of the last things I would like to ask is about what you just said about the experience of the physical environments, of getting them out and making them feel and physically experience their environment. And that word physical popped up a few times. So like the idea that learning and the physical experience are kind of interconnected seems to be something that you strongly believe in. 
Mm. And that's not nothing new. <laughs> that's that's we've we've known that for pretty much hundreds of years, probably. You know, the sort of hands-on understanding of you know learning by doing. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is something we have explored in learning theories for a long time. But I think in the last twenty years there was an enormous focus on technology and learning through the mediation of technology. And we can still explore this, of course, this is one this is part of our world now. But I would also say the sheer fact that we walked across the campus and walked to this other place on campus and all sat in the Brain Institute and heard the machines go beep and saw the interesting things on the walls, etc., etc., really made a difference. So it would have been different by just looking at it through a computer screen. The physical way of being there, seeing, you know, people in white coats running around and things like this was really a different thing. And it was something that engaged students, that made them want to be there. Um, of course, brain is always a buzzword as well. So <laughs> neuroscience, brain and so on, that does get people excited. But to actually be there and to see what is happening in this place was great for students, yeah. Memorable experiences. That's right. That's another yeah. phrase that we've heard a few times, isn't it? Simona, this has been really wonderful. Thank you so much for making the time and sharing your experiences and what you do in the classroom with us. If you who are tuning in enjoyed what you heard or if you want to add a few ideas or suggestions or simply leave a comment, then of course we have got various social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or you can find us to search for Higher Ed Heroes podcast maybe you could just come to a lovely campus for a stroll around <laughs> actually good point there Al thanks for joining us this week on Higher Ed Heroes and we look forward to your company again 